Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. Nice to be with you this week. It's been a while since we had a show. Good to be back. Uh, Our featured guest this week, Keith Strudler, who is the director of Marist's College Center for Sports Communication. Uh, They are going to be teaming with us on the Sports PR Summit, which is our annual event that takes place at the MLB Fan Cave in New York City in 2014. It'll be Thursday, May 22nd for that event. Uh, Marist Sports, you may see the Marist Sports poll on Real Sports with HBO. So they have a great program. We'll talk to Keith. Dave Minji, my former colleague, when he was at Nike, he's worked for Pepsi, Johnson & Johnson. He's now the president and founder of a company called Glide Slope. He's advising several Olympic sponsors on how to navigate the tricky waters of Sochi. He's also advising on the upcoming Super Bowl. So we'll talk to Dave Minji. And then Jason Cole, our friend from the National Football Post, one of the brightest minds when it comes to covering the NFL. We'll talk to him about this really bizarre Richie Incognito story in the Miami Dolphins locker room and how that locker room is in chaos. We'll talk to Jason Cole about that and several other NFL stories uh, coming up on our show. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. I'm joined now by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good, doing good. Love this time of year. The leaves are changing here in Portland where I'm at, and uh, it is a fun time of year. Football is heating up, and uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm loving it. Yes, several storylines since our last show. Let's start with the Major League Baseball playoffs. Uh, the Boston Red Sox win the World Series, really solid World Series against the Cardinals. I liked how the Red Sox paid tribute to the Boston Marathon during their parade. Uh, I thought that was great. The ratings for the World Series were up. So sometimes World Series numbers last few years haven't been great. This was good ratings for this World Series. So overall, what do you think of the World Series? Yeah, I thought it was a fun series. I thought the, the whole playoffs were fun. Seemed like a lot of errors this time around in the series, which is kind of, you think the two best teams would have a little more control of the ball and the wild pitches and all that, but that makes it fun, and I think it makes it inviting to watch, and you're waiting waiting for something to to happen to get that run in or get the winning run in, so it was a fun series. Um, I also liked hearing uh, the last broadcast with the Fox team with Joe Buck and, I uh, uh, forget his name now, of course. Tim McCarver. Uh, yeah, McCarver. I, I've always liked their team, so that'll be interesting to see what Fox does in the future with their broadcasting crew. You know what my favorite part of the playoffs was? This is going to sound crazy. I loved the TBS studio show. I thought Keith Olbermann was great. Yeah. Uh, I loved Pedro Martinez. Some people thought, oh, his broken English, you can't understand him. I thought he was the Charles Barkley of that <laughs> show. And I loved the Who's Your Daddy segment. I thought Pedro had great personality, and he was really a star to me through the playoffs. Like That became as must-see TV for me as TNT's NBA uh, studio show with Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith and Shaquille O'Neal and Ernie Johnson. I really liked the show that TBS put on as far as uh, Gary Sheffield, Pedro Martinez, and Keith Olbermann. And I know there were a few other people mixed in there, but Pedro was a breakout TV star to me. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's kind of funny when you when I saw that lineup before I'd seen the show, I'm like, oh, this could be who knows what it's going to be like. And you're right. It ended up being inviting and they had some fun segments and uh, just a, a cool mix of people. And I think it did uh, well for TBS. So the NBA season is now underway. And Griggs, I can't remember a season where there's been more storylines in the last few years. You've got the Heat chasing a three-peat. You've got Dwight Howard moving from the Lakers to Houston. You've got the Brooklyn Nets going all in on a championship by getting Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and several other pieces. Derek Rose back after a year off with the Chicago Bulls. You've got the Lakers and Celtics rebuilding. You've got all the talk of tanking to get Andrew Wiggins. A lot of storylines in the NBA this year. 
Yeah, it started off like like you said with a bang. It was just it's like you can't watch enough TV to figure out what's going on, who's winning the games, who's playing well, who's in the game, who's not in the game. Also, some new coaches, some new faces on the sidelines. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's already been a fun NBA season with uh, high energy and a lot of high scoring games too. So some good offense. Well, and then you've got the storyline of Commissioner David Stern, who's been a guest on this show several times, is stepping down, and Adam Silver will replace him. Uh, early next year. So that's another big transition for the NBA. A lot of fans won't necessarily feel that transition right away, but people behind the scenes and sponsors, and this has been building up for a while, so that will be interesting to watch as well. We're inside of 100 days to the Sochi Winter Olympics. What do you think? Do you think there's a buzz about the Olympics right now? Are you hearing things? Are you excited for the Olympics, Griggs? I'm a big Olympics guy, and especially winter games, because I, I love the snowboarding stuff and the skiing things and all that. But And I, I've noticed NBC is just starting to sprinkle in some 15-second type little teaser things, so I know they're going to start ramping up. And uh, I follow it along, so I'm always excited. I, I know what's happening, but I haven't seen much about it. I haven't heard much about it around the streets or anything yet, but I think that'll, that'll come when uh, NBC starts promoting it here heavy in the next month or so, I'm sure. All right, we've got a great show coming up for you. Coming up next, Keith Strudler from Marist College's Center for Sports Communication. We're teaming with them on the Sports PR Summit. And also, they do some great stuff with HBO Real Sports. We'll talk to Keith Strudler later in the show. Dave Minji from Glide Slope and Jason Cole will join me to talk some NFL. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher, former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With a goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back, and my guest is Keith Strudler, who is the director of the Marist College Center for Sports Communication. And I'm very excited to announce right here on Sports Business Radio that via the Sports PR Summit, we're going to be partnering with Keith and the Marist College Center for Sports Communication. They're going to help us with the Sports PR Summit, which the next Sports PR Summit is going to take place on May 21st, 2014, once again at the MLB Fan Cave in New York. We're bringing together top PR executives, reporters who give an insight to the PR executives on their world and their industry, also athletes in attendance who talk about their relationship with PR executives. Keith, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to join me here on Sports Business Radio, and we're really excited to be working with you and Marist. Well, thank you very much for having me, and uh, thanks for helping us to create this partnership. We are, we're very excited to be working with the Sports PR Summit for a long list of reasons, but First and foremost, you know, at the Center for Sports Communication, what we try to do is give our students unparalleled educational experiences and chances to interact with the professional world. And I can think of no better place to do that than in working with you guys. Tell us a little bit about your program. It's unique. 
you've got a pretty good proximity to the New York City area. Uh, I know you have great guest speakers that come speak to your students. So again, you have that real life tangible insight that you can offer to your students. Tell us a little bit about your program. Sure. Well, I got up here in 2000 and, uh, and I was hired essentially to start a program in sports communication, which really didn't exist anywhere at this point. And, and sportscom is a, it's a pretty hot field right now. But back in 2000, it was kind of something that was relatively shunned by the academic community. And in 2002, we launched a degree concentration in sportscom for kids that wanted to come up here and, and you know, become sports writers and work in sports PR and maybe go into sports marketing and sports broadcasting. And we started this thing, we built it, and students came. And I think a lot of this, as you said, really has to do with the fact that, that we have this wonderful proximity to New York City, and we have a long legacy of having our students go out and do internships in all sorts of professional environments. So as we built this program, it grew and it grew and it grew, and, and we now have close to 200 students who are either majoring or minoring in sports communication, which is one of the largest, if not the largest in the country and certainly one of the oldest. A few years ago, as we started to do more extracurricular things in sportscom, things that kind of went outside of just the courses we were teaching, we started to have more and more alumni that were rising up in the field. We decided that it was time to create something of an umbrella that, that we could really showcase some of these, these things and give some more value added to our students. And that was the genesis for creating the Center for Sports Communication. And it has several kind of goals and missions, and one of them is to do research in sports communication, which has allowed us to partner with the Marist Poll to uh, to do research project, projects in, uh, in sports-related issues, and you've probably hopefully read about some of those in newspapers. We've done Ethics of College Sports. We do Biggest Sports Stories of the Year. We actually recently announced a partnership with HBO Real Sports to do polls with the Marist Poll for them that, that they get exclusive first release. The first one ran recently about the concussion issue in football and parents reaction to that. Um, we have this wonderful speaker series that students get to interact with with, uh, with professionals that come to campus. Um, so we've had a, a great list of speakers that have come up, and largely because we're so close to New York City. Um, we actually produce our own sports media content. We have a, a weekly radio show that, that airs on our ESPN affiliate here in the Hudson Valley, ESPN 1220. So that's a great opportunity for students to get hands-on experience while they're, they're working right here on campus. So And now certainly we have uh, this partnership that's coming with the Sports PR Summit, which is going to be a great chance for our large number of students that, that don't necessarily want to go into sports writing or sports broadcasting, but really want to focus on the sports media and information field, which we see is kind of the, the fastest growing, in some ways, the most vital part of this industry and one that maybe doesn't get the, uh, the attention that it deserves. So we're really excited that this partnership is going to allow our students here to get that much more kind of professional interaction, contact, and experience in this really important part of the field. Keith Strudler, the director of the Marist College Center for Sports Communication, is my guest. We're talking about the partnership that's been established between uh, Marist College Center for Sports Communication and the Sports PR Summit for 2014 and beyond. You know, you're right. When most people are going to school, I remember I went to Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles. And when uh, directors of film, when TV screenwriters, when people from the industry would come in and offer that firsthand experience, the war stories, the insight it's so much better than learning out of a textbook and uh, to have the opportunity to have hands-on experience to practice what you're learning in the classroom via an event like ours, the Sports PR Summit, or any of the other opportunities that you present to your students. That's what I think the students really retain beyond their experience at school. Yeah, and we want our students – I mean, look – I still believe what my dad told me when I headed off to college years and years ago, which is the most important things you're going to do in college is learn how to think and write and to grow up a little bit. And that's still truly the foundation of what we do here at Marist. But in the end, we want our students to leave with a portfolio of products. And that, that happens in the classroom. That happens out of the classroom. We want our students to leave with contacts, people that they can – they can call, they can email, who, who know the quality of work that they've done, not just people that they have a business card from, but people who have seen them in action. You know, even the classes that we've built, when, when I was designing a sports PR class and someone from the athletics department said, hey, look, we have this pack the house initiative. Do you guys want to be involved with it?
with it. You know, that was, it was kind of a no-brainer. Like, yeah, our, our students will run that. We will we'll do the publicity. We'll do the marketing. We'll make sure that arena is packed. And we were actually the, the first and only non-BCS school to win this national initiative to increase attendance in for women's basketball. So we've always looked for those experiential learning experiences. And the center now has given us far more of those because the center is really focused on things that happen outside of the classroom. And again, working with the Sports PR Summit is just going to be another one of those those incredible pieces where our students are going to get access, experience, are going to be under deadline pressure, and are going to leave and know a lot more about what the real world, and you know, not the colleges in the real world, but what the real world in sports business is really like. Well, and you and I have discussed this, but one of the reasons I was really attracted to your program, and I talked to several about being our academic partner with the Sports PR Summit, is that you focus on sports PR and sports communications. And I like that focus uh, as it pertains to our event. And we're in an industry, sports communications, that is evolving and changing every day with social media and with all the different platforms and you know, every day we see someone in crises, we see someone do a good job with something, but there's so many things that can be discussed. But I really like that your program has that narrow focus that uh, aligns perfectly with the Sports PR Summit. Well, you know, what, when I designed this program, a lot of my explanation to people, because you have to go through committees and convince you know, a lot of traditional academics who may have never heard of sports communication or even recognize, you know, they hear sports and they think, well, that, that's just playing games. And we had to remind people that, look, we have lots and lots of people who work in this industry, and this is a you know, billion, billion dollar industry, and we have kids going in and, and, and doing this all the time. Why don't we put the academic legs and foundation underneath it? You wouldn't want to send, and I, you know, not to compare sports media and sports business to, to medicine, but you wouldn't want to send doctors out without giving them medical training. And so the idea behind building this program was, look, if, if these kids are going out and doing this, and this industry is going to be a growth industry as far as the eye can see, why don't we allow them to come here and have that really focused kind of, of track of study to, to get involved with this. We don't have to send kids out who are, you know, no offense to history majors. I was an English major, but, but we can allow them to really engage with this material while they're here and give them a leg up when they enter the profession. The other thing we do, and, and I, you know, I get thanks from parents all the time for this, is kids need to figure out if this is something they really want to do. Everyone sees, you know, sports and sports media and all that, and they say, oh, that looks great. I want to be the next Mike and Mike, for you know, those of us who are around here long enough. I want to, uh, I want to be, excuse me, next Mike and the Mad Dog, you know, dating myself a little bit. Um, and, and you say to them, that's great. Why don't you come here and try it? And, and maybe after a semester, two semesters, they realize, hey, maybe this isn't actually for me. This is a lot more work. This is a lot more writing. This isn't as sexy, as glamorous as I thought it was. So in many ways, we... We, we sometimes offer students a weed-out opportunity as well. You know, it's kind of like the Chem 207, that intro to chemistry was the weed-out for medical school. Sometimes we provide that service as well. And we actually run a, a, a program for high school, rising high school juniors and seniors where they come here and spend two weeks on campus taking a three-credit course that runs all day and all evening where they do a little bit of everything. They do some sports PR. They do some sports uh, broadcasting. They do some sports marketing. They do some sports writing. And it's this intensive two-week experience, so these students figure out if this is something they want to commit themselves to for the rest of their lives. And again, the parents, the students all get something out of it, and a lot of them leave saying, you know, I thought I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, but now I want to learn more about sports PR. Now I want to learn more about, you know, the broadcasting side or the producing side. So we really try to give students the opportunity to get the, the skill sets, you know, skill acquisition that they need, but also to be able to focus their interests a little bit more. All right, to find out more information on the Sports PR Summit, you can just go to sportsprsummit.com. You can follow it on Twitter at Sports PR Summit. Keith, how can people learn more about the Marist College Center for Sports Communication as it pertains to a website and uh, following on Twitter? So, uh, you know, the, the place to go for everything would be to go to our website, sportscom, that's with two M's, S-P-O-R-T-S-C-O-M-M, dot Marist, dot E-D-U, 
From there, you can follow us on Twitter. You can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our YouTube channel. Um, there's lots of content for people to tune into. And there's also links there to our, and, uh, to our radio show, The Classroom, on ESPN 1220. We have podcasts up. So if you, uh, if you missed a week or certainly if you're out of the region, you can go listen to that stuff at your leisure. And that's, again, a place where we do kind of a smart discussion of, of big sports issues. So, um, so there's lots of content for people to, to, to go and, and you know, spend their time on our website. Well, and like you mentioned earlier, I've enjoyed seeing uh, the Marist poll on Real Sports on HBO. So that's another place to see uh, what you're doing at work. Absolutely, yeah. So, and you know, like I said, be watching, uh, be watching HBO Real Sports, and you'll see more and more of the the good work that we're doing here with the Marist poll. Keith Strudler, the director of the Marist College Center for Sports Communication. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Sports Business Radio, and I'm really looking forward to our partnership with the Sports PR Summit. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it as well. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. I came in like a Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Dave Minji. He is the president and co-founder of Glide Slope. You can find them online at theglideslope.com. Dave has guided Fortune 100 companies such as Johnson & Johnson, City, Anheuser-Busch, InBev, Pepsi, McDonald's, Procter & Gamble, Dow, and the North Face. His firm, Glideslope, is also advising the New York, New Jersey Super Bowl host committee on the upcoming Super Bowl at MetLife Stadium. They're also working with the Arizona Super Bowl host committee on the Super Bowl at Glendale Stadium. I've known Dave a long time since his days as an executive at Nike. Dave, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Brian, always a pleasure. We, we do go back a ways, don't we? We do. We've got some stories to tell. Hey, tell me the story of how Glide Slope started so our uh, listeners can understand what you do and how your firm advises your clients. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Where We launched in, in 2010, but the story for Glide Slope really started forming during the Beijing Olympic Games. Um, I had the good fortune to be directing Johnson & Johnson's Worldwide Olympic Sponsorship. Uh, I had the Pleasure to be working with uh, one of my current uh, co-founders now, Eric Goodoff, who was at IMG at the time, and also our other co-founder, um, David Fuller, who was a creative guy that we had brought in through Mother, the agency, to help us in China. And essentially, as we sort of joke that over a number of years and, and a lot of beers, we came up with the idea of Glide Slope to really fit or fill, I should say, a gap in the marketplace, um, which is where we felt that neutral consultancy was needed, and particularly in a way that was free from any conflict of interest and not beholden to a larger holding company that had other types of businesses that they would look to kind of augment clients with, you know, once you get the consulting group inside the door, what other types of services can you sell, selling properties, potentially endorsing athletes, you know, introductions to PR firms that are part of the holding company. Um, and just settle back into true management advisement, so helping senior-level executives understand if they should use sport as a marketing tool, and that answer is not always yes, and if the answer is yes, uh, what is the best way to do it? Simply said, we try and borrow from more of the management consulting world of the McKinsey's and Bain's and whatnot, if you will, and, and focus on the thinking 
that's really required in a very expensive global industry before anyone starts the doing, a.k.a. the activation. Yeah, and as you said, neutral advisors, that's really different than many of the other advisors around global sports out there, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is that we've built a company of, of what we call kind of a collective of individuals with experience across the entire sports marketing portfolio globally. So we have PR experts, we have people who've done CSR, digital architects, we even have a what we what is referred to as a reforming practicing attorney here. Um, and the notion was that many of us had been clients before. We had sat on the other side of the table and had had various uh, consultancies and marketing groups come in, you know, some of the best in the business in terms of activation. And we had a perspective that what we were missing was a little bit closer to true um, business theory, true business management, understanding the sales process, understanding the innovation process in terms of developing products, uh, deep data and analytics work uh, as central to the sports opportunity. And so we felt that, um, particularly with non-endemic brands, uh, there was a great opportunity to go out and counsel them uh, as to how best to use sport if that was the right call for their business growth. Joined by Dave Minji, the president and co-founder of Glide Slope. You can find them online at theglideslope.com. Dave, we're inside 100 days until the Sochi Olympics. Many sponsors have started rolling out their campaigns. Walk us through a typical lead-up from now until the Olympics, because it seems like people are rolling out their campaigns much earlier than maybe they did 10, 15, 20 years ago. It is an interesting time, and it certainly is part of an evolution that we've been seeing for a couple of years. I think this expanded window that we're now in, and we kind of call it the 100 days to go mark, starts what we refer to in the closer Olympic world as the games time period. Um, and historically, as you say, Brian, you know, it really hasn't been that case where you know, 10, 15 years ago, as you mentioned, you wouldn't see this type of early um, communication, activation, sort of launch of events this far out of the Olympic Games. And I think what we're seeing as the reason to that really is the enablement of the digital world and social media and the fact that, uh, of course, years ago, in order to communicate, you were pretty much chasing your traditional channels of television, print, radio, things like that, very costly channels for the most part. And now the ability to come out with an advanced message can be a little bit more efficient by using social channels, by uh, you know, uh, taking advantage of, of many of the brand's existing digital components. And also, I should say, a certain credit goes to Lisa Baird and her team at the USOC for what they've done to really try and extend the games time window. One of the chief concerns of those that sponsor the Olympic Games, especially here in the United States, is that it is somewhat episodic in terms of the marketing window. It's not as as constant as, say, as an NBA season or something to that effect. And so, therefore, you have this great moment where there is a tremendous amount of eyeballs, but it kind of comes and goes roughly over the span of about a month, uh, the Olympic window. So, to her credit, Lisa and the team at the United States Olympic Committee have been trying to create more of a window of opportunity for their sponsors to take advantage of the excitement leading into a games, particularly games uh, you know, like the ones we have coming up in Sochi, Russia. It's not a place that a lot of Americans really, you know, uh, probably had at the top of their mind prior to the learning about the Olympic Games. Um, and not so different from Torino, uh, where it wasn't exactly a place that uh, was top of mind, like a Beijing or a Paris or a London or something to that effect. So there needs to be a little bit of education for the general consumer, even about where Sochi is and sort of, you know, why Russia has decided to stage these games. Some advertisers like to use athletes that are competing in the games to tout their products. That's always a tough bet. I mean, we remember the the Dave and Dan Reebok fiasco that went wrong years ago uh, around the Summer Olympics when uh, they didn't perform nearly as well as they uh, as the sponsor thought they would. How do you best gauge? Okay, here's an athlete that we think will perform well, but also will help us sell product. Yeah, I mean, that's the magic question. You mentioned Dan and Dave from Reebok, and, you know, I've been surprised and, and you know, having worked at 96 games to, to now, you know, I guess it's also a testament of how old we're getting, Brian, but, you know, I go around to colleges and universities and, and, and actually see that as a printed case study now in marketing textbooks, which is quite amazing and also points to the impact that that, that situation had on all of us as marketers. But, um, you know, it is a difficult question, and we say that even if you find the perfect athlete, 
who is doing everything right, who is saying the right things, who is performing well, who has the right social media following and is able to push out brand messaging now out into their own audience that they have through Instagram or Twitter or whatever, uh, they're still only a sprained ankle away uh, from never competing you know, in the Olympic Games. Uh, and, and we've seen that happen. Athletes go to games, they're in perfect shape, and suddenly they're in a foreign land and they get food poisoning, right? Or they have a, an injury in a training run. Certainly, uh, we saw that in 2006 with then Lindsay Kildow. Um, you know, that happened to, to her before she went on to become Lindsay Vaughn. So, you know, that that is quite a risk. Typically, what we'll advise sponsors to do is, is, you know, kind of the simple saying, not throw all your eggs into one basket and plan for that and anticipate that that very well could happen. So how do you sort of mitigate that risk by potentially spreading it over a portfolio of athletes and or using retired athletes or people like that that aren't necessarily subject to the same risk factors? One of the things I've heard from my sports marketing friends is that your social media following, your Twitter followers, your Facebook followers, it's become the new Q score. So if you've got a good following on social media, you kind of stand out to marketers because you can spread the word quickly about the campaign. Have you experienced that? Do you think that's true? Absolutely. It's something that we look at. And you know, now we actually have agents kind of rushing to us and touting those scores, uh, particularly in the lead up to Olympic windows or sort of World Cups and things like that, which is very interesting. And certainly, as you know, Brian, very new. But but here's what I think is the most interesting thing about this whole kind of move in that direction is that it is starting to really get athletes around the concept that if a brand wants to come sponsor them, that brand is absolutely their client and they need to be treated as their client. I, I think for so many years in our industry, uh, even when these big brands sponsor these very famous athletes, there was a lot of kind of, you know, delicate handling of that athlete. And allowing that athlete to kind of, you know, call some of the shots, certainly, or the agents call some of the shots. I think it, it, this type of situation where the brand first comes to the athlete and says, tell me what you got. Tell me who follows you. What will you do with my messaging? Uh, is starting to change the dynamic or at least reinforce that the proper way for athletes to really be thinking about it, especially those that are perhaps in the Olympic space that don't really have you know, a long opportunity to secure long-lasting sponsorships um, to, to treat these brands as a potential client, to be, you know, knowledgeable about pitching themselves. And we are starting to see a handful of the more astute athletes actually put together what one could call even little brand books or sort of encapsulations of what they stand for and the ability to influence, you know, external audiences through their own social media opportunities, which you know, it's definitely a shift from where we've been perhaps a decade or so ago. We've got a few minutes left with Dave Minji, the president and co-founder of GlideSlope. Find them online at theglideslope.com. This is kind of a tricky political uh, Olympics coming up in Sochi. We've seen this before, China's human rights policies. Now you've got Russia's gay and lesbian policies. Tricky landscape for sponsors. How do they not get drawn into the controversy? What do you advise them? Well, as we say, this type of marketing is really not for those with a weak stomach. Um, what you see in, in, in Russia that uh, certainly we didn't see in London, but we did see, as you mentioned, Brian, in Beijing, is the Olympic Games also with an element of nation building. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that Putin and uh, you know his government is looking to Sochi 2014 as a way to not only showcase what they feel is a new Russia to the world, but very much to showcase a new Russia to their own people, um, to instill pride, to stamp in their mind that Russia is once again back in a dominant way. Uh, and when those factors are part of the overall Olympic you know, mood and tone, uh, along with it can come some difficult dances for sponsors whose particular consumers, especially when you think about American consumers, might not always agree with uh, the behavior and, in certain cases, even the laws of those countries. Uh, so I think what ultimately has to happen is that marketers that want to play in spaces like the Olympic movement, like FIFA and the World Cup, have to anticipate and understand what type of risks they're exposing their brands to and well in advance uh, have some, some actionable plans if things like what we're seeing out of Russia start to happen. Yeah, it's a delicate dance. Before I let you go, 
Glide Slope is involved with the next two Super Bowls, including one in your backyard at MetLife Stadium coming up in February. What's your role with the Super Bowl planning? Well, we sort of help them establish uh, their positioning in terms of uh, their volunteer program and also help support it, some of their legacy thinking. Uh, the host committee and the wonderful job that Al Kelly and the team have been doing uh, certainly has a huge role in helping create the entire surround sound of what happens on the field of play. Um, but also it's important to the legacy aspects of what a Super Bowl for the New Jersey, New York uh, metro area can mean and the growth opportunities that should come you know, long after the game has ended. Uh, and it's, it's shaping up to just be a wonderful experience. I mean, the first outdoor cold weather Super Bowl, uh, I can tell you that the planning around it uh, is phenomenal. They haven't missed a thought. Uh, and really, I think it'll be a wonderful experience uh, for those that can make it to New York and even those that, that can come to the city of New York, you know, go over to New Jersey and sort of experience it. Even if they can't get into the game, there's some phenomenal events that uh, are being built and great attractions available to everyone. I think, you know, that this is certainly going to have a lot of eyeballs on it. Um, and, and there's still, you know, some, some kind of uh, nervousness, if you will, about the weather. Um, but, hey, this is football, and this is New York, and if there's any city in the world that can kind of pull this off, it certainly is the Big Apple. Well, you're right. It's not like it's snowing in Pasadena, and they'd be completely unprepared for it. In New York, they're used to cold weather. So, you know, we've seen in Dallas and some other cities where they kind of got caught by surprise with the cold weather, but you're in the the media capital of the United States. I think it's going to be really fun, and uh, I'm frankly looking forward to it. I've never been a huge indoor football stadium guy, so I like to see that there's going to be some elements involved in determining uh, the champion of the NFL. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, and, and then look, they've planned for every possible scenario um, and their, their planning is very solid. And so they are, you know, uh, kind of locked in on delivering just an absolute world-class experience for everyone. And, you know, we've heard the sort of criticism, well, where will the sponsors be able to play golf and, and do outdoor pavilions? I mean, but hey, you know, this is New Jersey and New York, and, and there are plenty of places to entertain and to have a lot of fun. So I don't think, um, you know, your traditional Super Bowl um, sponsor or client is really going to miss that aspect here relative to the Big Apple. Dave Minji, the president and co-founder of Glide Slope. Again, find them online at theglideslope.com. Dave, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for your time and uh, best of success with all the busy projects you're working on. Thanks so much, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher, former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples, tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter, so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With a goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Jason Cole. He is a writer with the National Football Post. You can follow him on Twitter at Jason Phil Cole. Jason, how are you? I am fantastic. What's going on, Brian? 
just uh, staying busy. But it's an interesting week in the NFL right now. I've got to ask you about Richie Incognito. He's been suspended by the Miami Dolphins amid bullying allegations. There are some people that say this type of thing is commonplace in the NFL. It goes on more than you'd think. There are others that say, wow, this is really uh, a red alarm and, and needs to be taken care of. What's going on here with Richie Incognito and the Dolphins? Well, I would say that some of what we're talking about, you know, like getting rookies to pay for, you know, a dinner or um, getting them bring, bring in food and, you know, some some amount of this hazing, some of that's normal. Um, it's unusual at other workplaces, but it's fairly normal by um, sports team standard, okay, um, to do sort of harmless stuff. But today we've had, you know, the report come come out that, you know, Richie left, you know, pretty vile messages on Jonathan Martin's, you know, voicemail and sent him text messages that are considered threatening, including dropping the N-word, which is absolutely 100% unacceptable um, in any way, shape, or form, joke, not joke, whatever you want, whatever you want to try and say about it. And so I think that there's a point at which Richie Incognito has cross the line in a very, very severe way. And that's why I think that this is an unusual case. It's already been reported that Richie Incognito will never play for the Dolphins again by by the Miami Herald. Um, Sadly, I think that Jonathan Martin's going to have a difficult time sort of resuscitating his career as well, even though he's the victim in this case. Um, But I think this goes beyond the sort of somewhat normal locker room hijinks that you know, a lot of us have, have seen, observed, talked about, read about, um, you know, like making guys sing their alma mater's fight song or you know, some of the kind of silly things that go on that we see like on HBO Hard Knocks. This is beyond that. You've been in many NFL locker rooms. Explain to our listeners kind of the hierarchy of when something like this happens. Is this monitored and dealt with by the players? Do they bring the GM and coach into the picture? What happens here? Well, generally, you know, some of these activities go on, and GMs and coaches do their very best to try and make sure they understand everything that's happening. And the bad coaches out there sometimes let this go on too far, um, and they don't monitor it as well, and they don't control it. Uh, I remember a moment back in 1994. Um, Tim Bowens, who was a, a terrific defensive tackle for the Dolphins, played 10 years. Uh, he, you know, they were they were making him sing the fight song, and he was from Old Miss, and they wanted him to make him sing Dixie, and no no self respecting black man is going to sing Dixie. Uh, so he got up angry, walked out, and didn't show up for afternoon practice that day. Um, Shula heard about it very quickly, went into the locker room, you know, in the team meeting room actually, and said, "We're done with rookie hazing." So we're we're not doing this kind of stuff anymore because he just didn't want stupid things like that right. to get in the way of you know team building. Uh, now there are other things you know there are pranks all the time and you know, silly things that go on in the locker room and you know jokes. But as long as they generally stay out of, out of the general media and they they stay within even just sort of semi crass forms of joking. Usually it's kept under control. Um, this appears to have gone beyond that, such as Richie Incognito demanding $15,000 from, from Jonathan Martin to pay for an excursion to Las Vegas for the offensive lineman, an excursion that Jonathan Martin didn't go on and didn't want to go on. So, you know, to demand that from a rookie, even if he's making $400,000, $15,000 is a lot of money. That's not right. So Richie Incognito had his problems in college at Nebraska at the University of Oregon. You're saying that there are reports out there that the Dolphins, he'll never play for the Dolphins again. My question to you is, will he ever play for anyone again? Uh, I think that there's a very good chance that Richie Incognito is done in the NFL. Because especially the use of the racial epithet in this one, I think, is inexcusable. And... Um, and along with the ugliness that, of the rest of the message, even if it's it's a attempt by Richie to be joking, it's not funny. 
and it's not funny in any way. And unlike with Riley Cooper, the circumstances with Riley Cooper during training camp that we saw, Riley was obviously drunk. And he said something really stupid, and he took the punishment for it and apologized for it immediately. In the case of incognito, there is no such you know, excuse out there that he was drunk. Second of all, on Sunday, Richie Incognito lashed out at the media, Adam Schefter of ESPN specifically, saying he was being slandered. And as we come to find out, he wasn't probably he probably wasn't being slandered enough. <laughs> I mean, in in some respects, because he went way off the deep end, and and his behavior is is ugly and pathetic and inexcusable. So to me, this is a whole different case, a whole different use of terms, a whole different circumstances that ultimately may lead him to certainly not be playing the rest of this season and maybe never again. Well, it was interesting to me as someone who has a company that uh, provides training to athletes and coaches for media and social media training. Incognito went on a Twitter rant the other night. He's since taken some of those tweets down. But like you said, he took shots at Adam Schefter, at ESPN, at several other uh, outlets and wanted to take people on on Twitter. That's another uh, thing to your detriment, most teams and organizations don't want that out there and don't want you representing well, them in that way. Well, I understand. You know, most organizations, yeah, they want to keep it quiet. But, but more importantly, if you're going to go on that kind of rant, you better be squeaky clean. Right. Okay, you, you better be right. If you go on the rant and then subsequently everybody finds out that you're a dirtbag, well – you're done. Well, especially, again, a guy who's had his uh, previous troubles off the field. You have a shorter leash than your person who, you know, like you said, like Riley Cooper, who really hadn't had any off-the-field instances or anything that he had done in his past previously where you go, wow, this guy's got this pattern. Incognito's got the pattern. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, look, I agree with you 100%. And this is why I think people are just going to look and say you're untouchable at this point in time. Last question on this. Do you think that because of what we've seen happen and how high profile it is in Miami with the Dolphins with this instance, will other NFL teams reexamine their quote-unquote hazing and bullying policies in their locker room? Oh, absolutely. I think everybody – because nobody wants this to happen on their watch. And – the fact that this happened under Joe Philbin and Jeff Ireland, um, in, in some ways, is also inexcusable. Because, look, I, you know, the, Jonathan Martin left the team on Monday, and I understand that because they played on Thursday, you might not have been able to figure things out on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But come Friday and Saturday, you should have been working really hard with Jonathan Martin to figure out what is what was going wrong. And you didn't find out what was going wrong until Sunday afternoon, by which time the ESPN had reported everything, and you put out an initial statement on Sunday morning saying that all of this was based on speculation by the media. In other words, you were denying this on Sunday morning. By Sunday night, 12 hours later, you were now then suspending your player. And so if I'm the owner of the Dolphins, I'm sitting there going, why didn't you guys find out about this in advance? You had Friday and Saturday to work on this, but you let it come out in the media instead. Jason Cole with the National Football Post is my guest. You can find him on Twitter at Jason Phil Cole. Uh, some scary instances over the weekend with two head coaches in the NFL. John Fox on Saturday was playing golf, uh, experienced shortness of breath, went to the doctor, and he's going to have heart surgery. Then Gary Kubiak collapses while he's walking to the locker room at halftime. You've been, again, in locker rooms. You've been around the NFL for a long time, Jason. Can you give our listeners some idea of the pressures that NFL coaches are under? Well, it's tremendous pressure um, to win. And, you know, there's a lot of money on the line in your future and your dignity and all those things that are wrapped up into it. And so – um, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, I would stop a little bit and say a lot of it is self-induced. Um, a lot of people work long hours because they choose to work those long hours. And this is different than, say, being 
a police officer or a teacher or somebody who works for a boss who's incredibly demanding and expects you to work 80 hours a week and throw your life into something. So it's different from that. Um, it, it, you know, but it is high profile. You're on television. You know, everything that you say and do is dissected by the media and by your, you know, the people who work for you. And everybody's trying to figure things out. So yeah, there is a lot of pressure. But again, this is a, a job that a lot of people choose to do on their own and know what it's like long before they ever get into it. They've, you know, they've been assistant coaches. They've been brought up in football. They've been around it all their life. They played it in most cases. You know, like Gary Kubiak was a college and NFL player, and then became a coach, and you know he knew this. So I, I, do, I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss it, but I also want to keep it in context that there are a lot of high-pressure professions out there, and this one is, this again is is largely self-induced. Guys choose to stay up long hours. They take, um, in a lot of cases, a lot of guys take medications so that they can stay up, you know, and, and work 18 to 20 hours a day, and they they sleep on the floor of their offices, and they drive themselves, you know, to you know to distraction, but that's by choice. Yeah, it's incredible to me, uh, you know, the owners and obviously the fans, there's just, like you said, so much at stake with the business, the money, the uh, short leash that a lot of coaches seem to be on. I mean, owners today seem to have very little patience with, if you don't win now, uh, we're going to make a change rather quickly and bail from our previous philosophies. So uh, it's interesting to me to see these two coaches who – uh, have had these health problems. Maybe it's coincidental, or maybe it's just uh, a sign of the profession they're in. Well, in in Fox's case, I think it's it's just actually a physical abnormality um, because what he's got is a valve in his heart that doesn't work very well. I mean, my mom went through the same thing, uh, and it just you know these kinds of things just need to be replaced. I'm not sure how much of that is a matter of stress, especially when you're going lightheaded while you're playing golf. You know about the most um, unstressful thing that you can possibly do um, on a weekend off from a game. So, I mean, I think that that's physical. Now, in in Kubiak's case, you know, that one seems like there's some stress-induced issues that are going on, um, and certainly his body telling him that he's had enough. I would like to see what the final results are, um, but you know, it is it is obviously coincidental and troubling that two coaches. Two high-profile guys like this um, would, you know, come up sick on the same weekend. A few more minutes with Jason Cole, a writer for the National Football Post. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Phil Cole. It's been a while since uh, you joined us last, and in between our visits, uh, the NFL paid out seven hundred sixty-five million dollars to former players as part of a settlement with the players' union. You know, and they've come under some scrutiny. Some people said, "Well, that's a lot of money." It's great that the players can get medical attention now. Other people have said it's not enough, and the NFL continues to not do enough to keep players safe and to help past players. Where do you stand on this? I tend to believe that it's not enough money, and it's not really the kind of solution that we need to have toward what the problem is, because it's not like the concussion problem is going away. At the same time, it's probably about as good as this litigation could ever have hoped for unless the litigants were willing to fight it out to the very bitter end. And by say, by saying bitter end, I'm saying you know, seven, eight, maybe even ten years worth of litigation, mm. expensive, costly litigation, you know, because you're talking about 4,500 litigants who were in this one. And can you just imagine how much time it takes to depose 4,500 people? Oh. Okay, so just... Let's talk about you know one day of deposition for all of those people. And that's and that's working quickly. Times you know five a week. You know in your best case scenario, times. I mean it becomes four years just of depositions, and then we haven't even gotten to court yet. So this was a monstrous lawsuit. It was going to be a long and ugly fight for, and especially for a fair number of guys who need help now. And so the the NFL had a certain amount of leverage on this one because they knew that they could play it out and, and let this thing ride out forever. At the same time, the NFL didn't want this thing to ride out forever 
because they don't want the concussion issue at the forefront all the time. So I think all that considered, it's a pretty good settlement. The other issue that you have to remember, and everybody blames the NFL for these concussion cases, and I understand why, but most of those guys, 90, probably 98% of the people who you know, were litigants in this case, you know, former players, they played football in high school. They played football in college. They probably played Pop Warner football. So all of a sudden you say, okay, you say you have concussion problems. How many concussions did you have in college? How many did you have in high school? Did you have any when you were playing Pop Warner? What kind of cumulative effect did that 10 years of playing football before you ever got to us have to do with this? And so what are we truly responsible? Because maybe you only played three or four years in our league, maybe six or seven, maybe eight. But you played 10 years of football before you ever got to us. And that's where people need to understand this was not a clean and easy lawsuit um, for, you know, for all these people. And it wasn't going to magically fix the problem and get them 4 or $5 billion. That's a great point that you make. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in probably the last two months, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, is the outreach to young females, to young mothers. Because, you know, one of the things people have talked about is, are moms going to stop letting their sons play football? And if that happens, then, you know, is there less of a pool of talent to choose from? But, you know, I've seen clinics with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and moms, and I've seen advertising directed at moms. I have not seen this before, so it seems like the NFL PR and marketing machine is in action here. Oh, absolutely, 100%. I mean, all those... Um, you know, sort of cute kind of comical um, commercials, PSAs, I guess you want to put it, that they did last year about safety, uh, you know, where you had Ray Lewis growling at, at Tom Brady and, you know, Ray Lewis's, you know, pretend mom, I guess, you know, talking about little Ray. And, you know, I mean, if you remember all those commercials, or the ones right. that they did with Mike Strahan yep. a year ago, I mean, those are all aimed at, you know, our game is safe. Don't worry about letting little Johnny play football. And I get that. Um, I don't think there's ever going to be any shortage of um, kids playing football, um, you know, to, to supply the NFL. I think there's just too much glory that goes with playing the game and too much opportunity and really too much money um, that people are going to take their chance. And, for, and, and my last point on that is, yeah, football's a dangerous game. Um, but so are a lot of other things that we do out there. <laughs> You know, you know, rock climbing is not very safe. Parachuting is not very safe. Um, but we do these things because of the thrill, you know. And we do these things because they're challenges of human performance. And these are the things that we want to try and accomplish. And my point in all this is, as long as you know what the risks are up front, as long as you understand, okay, if you play with a concussion or play with repeated concussions, is a very good chance that you're going to end up with severe damage to your brain. As long as you explain that to everybody, then everybody's on the right page and everybody can make educated choices. If you don't do that, then shame on you. Last question for you. A few years ago, uh, the NFL announced that they would be playing the 2014 Super Bowl outdoors in New York. And now, you know, it seems like I was an Announcement was made long ago. Here we come months away from an outdoor Super Bowl in New York. How do you think that's going to be received by fans, by players? You know, and I keep thinking of Peyton Manning. The Broncos are set up really nicely to get to the Super Bowl. And here's a guy that has not played his best in cold weather outdoors. I'm sure that they're not going to enjoy this one. Um from an execution standpoint, I'm sure that the player, you know, the hustle and bustle of being in New York in the middle of January slash February is not going to be the most pleasant experience. Um, it's not like doing it in Miami. Uh, but the show will go on, and it'll be exciting. And if the weather's bad, I'll just guarantee you one thing. They'll never do it again. <laughs> okay. it, it's a one-time. This is a one-time deal. I think it was a one-time deal to help the owners of the Jets and the Giants you know, get some payoff and to help New York get some payoff for the, I think it was almost $2 billion they spent in building you know, MetLife Stadium. 
And so that was that's part of the deal here. Um, and even though even though teams consistently say they don't make money off the Super Bowl, they make money off of the Super Bowl, and the city makes money off of the Super Bowl. So this was the reward to New York for building that stadium, and we'll just have to kind of grin and bear it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. That will for sure be a huge storyline as we get closer. Uh, before I let you go, you are uh, a tremendous chef. Thanksgiving is coming up. Uh, how are you preparing the turkey this year? Well, to be quite honest, we're going to New York um, for Thanksgiving I, to, nice. to visit with my stepdaughter. Um, so we could end up at the Chinese restaurant. Um, <laughs> so, um, we'll see. I'll probably, we'll probably end up with Peking duck or something like that. Uh, but normally, if uh, if I'm doing it, I brine the turkey the, the night before, get a one of those um, paint buckets that you can buy at Home Depot or Lowe's, prefer, preferably Home Depot since um, Arthur Blank is a, is, a, is a good man and the owner of the Falcons. There you go. Um, but you buy your $3 paint bucket, uh, put in a nice brine with some, you know, fresh thyme, um, fair amount of, of basil, um, water, lemons, some oranges sometimes. Uh, let that soak overnight, and then you put it in a bag for like three hours, one of those basting bags, and then you pull it out and usually put butter right underneath the skin. Um, and then you put a pomegranate sauce over the top of the skin, and you, you let that get really, really um, nice and crispy. Wow. So it that, sounds that's, good. A, that's something that we've generally done in the past. See, and that's I'm all about uh, outside the box ways to prepare your turkey instead of just like throwing it in the oven and saying, all right, let's have regular turkey, which sometimes tends to be uh, a little bit dry. But I, I like the outside the box preparations for turkey. So that's a good one. We might have to well, try Brian, that. Brian's really good. The other one that is fabulous if you, um, you know, have the att- sort of attention to you know, make sure that you watch over your cooking. Yeah, deep frying a turkey is um, is like just amazing. It's just absolutely an amazing thing to do, especially when you get the injectable sauces like the Cajun sauces and things like that. You can vary whichever you do, but but um, deep fried turkey is consistently the best turkey I've ever had. As long as there's no house fires that accompany the deep frying turkey, right? That's why you put it back on the grass <laughs> in the middle of the, uh, the backyard, um, away from away from the house, and don't put it on the the wood um, deck that adjoins your home. That's bad. That's a really bad idea. Jason Cole, writer for the National Football Post. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Jason Bill Cole. Jason, always enjoy catching up with you. Thanks for the time. No problem, Brian. Take care. Thanks. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We're back on Sports Business Radio. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, uh, college football season is uh, starting to get down to the nitty-gritty where we see who's going to uh, win it all. And uh, it's interesting. I will be happy when we go to a playoff. It's still not a perfect solution, but it's better than polls and computers and what we have now. Do you agree? 
I definitely agree. I'm I'm excited for this year, but here we're looking at a bunch of undefeated teams coming down the wire, and if it ends up being you know four or five undefeated teams, you're going to have the whole question: what happens now? So next year, I think will help a little bit with that, and I'm excited to see how it uh, how it all pans out next season as well as this season as well. It's always fun. Veterans Day is coming up. Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there who protect and serve our country. Uh, Northwestern University, some controversy over their uniforms that they're going to wear on November 16th against Michigan. They've got the flag and the red, white, and blue colors, and I have no problem with that. But what they also have, Griggs, is they have blood splattered all over the uniform from combat. Uh, They've come out and apologized if they offended anyone with those uniforms. Your thoughts on taking that strategy? I mean, we've seen what the Oregon Ducks have done with their uniforms. This is like taking it to a whole nother level, what uh, Northwestern has done. Yeah, it's funny, too, because the first time I saw the uniforms, I didn't really notice that. And then I realized, I saw some Twitter things talking about it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I do see that now. So it took me a second look at it to notice it was there. And, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, hey, it's part of battle, but is it too far? Is it something that they don't really need on a football uniform? That's kind of the question that we're struggling with, I think. Yeah, I would say no. We don't need yeah. that. We know what combat means. Right. Uh, you know, it's like the horrible, horrific young lady who decided that she was going to dress up as a Boston Marathon victim for right. Halloween. I don't know if you saw that. So she wore a Boston uh, Marathon uniform. She had blood splattered all over herself. She lost her job. She's yeah. received death threats for her and her family. I mean – I can't believe anyone would think like that to dress up in such an offensive costume. Uh, People lost their lives that day. But Northwestern isn't as offensive to me, but it's still – I think it crosses that line. Let's honor the people who serve our country in uniform uh, and who have given their lives with red, white, and blue. There's lots of ways to do that. I don't think blood splattered on the uniform. We don't need to go that graphic. Yeah, I agree with you, definitely. All right, lots of thank yous for the guests on the show this week. Keith Strudler from the Marist College Center for Sports Communication, certainly looking forward to working with him and his program on the Sports PR Summit. Dave Minji, my friend from Glide Slope. Uh, Jason Cole from the National Football Post. A reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast anytime you want. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com or you can go on to iTunes, go to the podcast section, type in Sports Business Radio. You'll see we're one of the most more popular podcast there. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Griggs, how do people follow you? You can get me on bgrizzle22 on Twitter and uh, check out my family pictures and uh, my opinions on country music awards. <laughs> Sweet. Yes, and for those of you who may not know, Griggs, in addition to producing this show, does lots of other uh, award-winning work, so we're very lucky to have him on our show. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports business radio what doesn't kill you makes you sports business radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names my guest is david stern he's the commissioner of the nba it is always a pleasure brian bill hancock he's the executive director of the bull championship series i'm happy to be here thanks for having me dallas mavericks owner mark cuban mark thanks for joining me my pleasure my guest is mickey loomis he's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion new orleans saints pleasure to be with you guys mr allen thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 